Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this week's episode of Damsels in the DMs, you cannot blur what you do as an artist and what you do as a hoe. Like, not that they're different, That's but like they're one and the same. But like, listen, if you, at first I used to do this. If you were just a first name in my phone, you were a booty call. Because after seven months, you're like, who's Alejandro? I don't know. Delete. <laughs> you like that one? I, I... <laughs> this message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. There's some damsels in the DM. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs. Yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs, the Come Up Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Alejandro. And today, oh my goodness, what a treat. We have Jose Richard Nalgona Aviles. What a treat, seriously. Like, the motivation, the inspiration, I keep saying that all the time, but I feel like every guest that we've had on has had some remarkable piece of advice about perseverance and really finding one's purpose and stepping into one's zone uh, in terms of finding what makes us really happy and moving forward confidently in that. Lauren, what do you think? Such a great episode. I love the description that he talks about, about the variations in the name that he uses and Mm -hmm. how people address him so that it helps him to compartmentalize his identity. I have a very, you know, minor version of that um, because I use my middle name as my stage name, but in school I just have my two names. But it does make me feel like Hannah Montana sometimes. So I loved hearing his uh, perspective on it and the importance of understanding what goes into a name and understanding who you are based on the way people refer to you. So I feel like this episode is so interesting on so many different facets and the many hats that he wears within his creative path and his work path. Yeah, the identities that he has been able to express and explore. He really is getting the best of all worlds, not just both. So let's get into it, shall we? Do it. Oh my goodness, I am so excited. Today we have Jose Richard Nalgona Aviles. Oh, the organizer, dancer, poet, model, and host of Fruta Fresca. Hello, hello. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I was like, oh, that introduction. (laughs) Warm and fuzzy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's exciting to have you here. My goodness. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. So excited to have you here. So I guess first off, how do you two know each other? We met at a La Lista podcast networking event uh, a few months ago, and I saw this brilliant light walking across the way in the brewery where this event was being held and just like this sparkling energy came approaching and I'm just like oh who is this gorgeous angel coming toward me (laughs) so um yeah instantly we struck up conversation grabbed a beer and then we just kind of continued engaging but not really because I think you took off like soon after right and then that was when I was just getting there 
Yeah. Well, the funny thing, I love the fact how you describe it because I literally thought the same thing when I saw you and I was like, oh my gosh. this person? <laughs> I don't, and I think I came, I went up to you and I was like, I don't know you, but I would like to get to know you. Who are you? Uh, um, uh, you were like, who is this bitch? <laughs> <laughs> so, something like that. Um, <laughs> one, one or the other. Uh, but, but. But no, that I think that that's exactly it. And then I did leave short after, um, shortly after, because funny enough, we were late to uh, an interview for for the podcast. So it was really, really funny that we were like kind of on networking, and then it's like, oh shit, girl, we gotta go, we gotta film some stuff. <laughs> so it was quite <laughs> funny, very fitting, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us all about your journey to getting to where you are today. All of the titles that Alejandro mentioned, how those all came about, the podcast, everything. Lupusin. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, I'm like, girl, do we have all the time? Um, long, <laughs> long story short, I mean, I think I, I've always been someone who has always been hella empathetic. Um, and I mean, specifically what comes to mind is 1996 when El Nino struck Latin America. And I was, I think, five years old at that time. And I just remember watching the news and being like, and crying. And my mother would be like, why are you crying? And I'm like, girl, the pain, don't you see? People are suffering. Mm. And my mom was like, oh, you're not, you're, you shouldn't watch the news. <laughs> <sighs> and so I think I've always just been this person in this spirit. And I think when, as I got older, um, a very pivotal moment was in 10th grade. My social science teacher, Mr. BB, I don't know where he's at, but shout out to Mr. BB. Yeah, made us go. We, I think this is around 10th grade, maybe five high school, around 2006. So this is around the, you know, day without a Mexican and the immigration reforms that were coming out in the, in 2005, 2006. Um, and definitely, I think at that time, we were learning a lot about social movements and organizing and what that meant. And one of our like extracurricular activities was to go to a protest. And so a friend and I went to a protest and definitely walked out with high school students, um, other high school students back in 2005, 2006. And I just remember being like, what the fuck is this? Like, what? who are these people that I don't know? But there's something about chanting together, marching together that just brought some sort of unison. And then from there, I, you know, I think my mind was um, open to, to organizing and activism as a whole. And then I think my junior and senior year of high school, I ended up randomly uh, getting approached by an organizer of the Bus Riders Union here in Los Angeles. And they came up to me. We were talking. I was knitting a scarf. And it was a long day of organizing. We got to reflect on the story years later. Um, but then all of a sudden, I got invited to a Bus Riders Union meeting. And my logic was like, oh, we know unions are good. We like unions. I'm a bus rider. A bus riders union makes a lot of sense. And so I ended up going to my first membership meeting. I think it was literally that weekend. I might have run into the organizer on Tuesday. On Saturday, I was there. And I was just hooked. I mean, it was interesting to learn about, you know, systems of oppression and popular education and to talk about like uh, power mapping and strategy building and all those different things that come from organizing. 
And then I spent a lot of time organizing around gay straight alliances in my high school. So I founded the first GSA at my high school um, and did a lot of youth activism and organizing. I look back and think about how privileged I was that I was learning about, I mean, colorblind racism. I was learning about covert and overt racism, right? And systems of oppression and power and all those, like what we now consider to be woke. It was like probably woke, woke a long time ago. The way that I frame it now is that my politics aren't trendy, but on the contrary, the trend caught up to my politics because I've been doing this work for such a long time. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah, and so then sort of fast forwarding undergrad, I, I studied dance. Um, I think it, it came from a place of like, I always wanted to, I've always been an artist. I mean, there's many stories of like me rolling around on the floor, dancing to old school Shakira. My mom being like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, I'm dancing. And she was like, what the hell? And then of course I go into modern dance class and the first thing we do is start on the floor. And I was like, not my mother seeing me now doing this shit. Uh... Uh, and so, you know, through that, I, and part of the work, to be honest with you, back back in the day, um, it was my freshman year of high school, I mean, my of undergrad, that I got the opportunity to speak at something called the National Equality March, which which, which was a big march for LGBT rights, especially marriage equality. Um, in 2009, Lady Gaga is infamous for speaking there and yelling, Obama, are you listening? Um, and to find out that I was one of the youth speakers and youth organizers of that march, and there was like a quarter of a million people who were there mm -hmm. and to yeah and so early on I was you know doing a lot of organizing I make the joke that if social media were as big as it were I would have probably been the Greta Thunberg of the queer movement yeah. <laughs> um, so that was interesting and then I got burned out I mean again started organizing at 15 and had like this anger and a lot of these emotions and then at 18 you know on C-SPAN speaking in front of millions of close to a million people right I got burned out and just became a dancer and I was like I just need something that's whatever and it was like the most challenging thing both physically and mentally because it was a lot of deconstructing with body image issues I don't look like a regular dancer I don't have like a dancer's body right I'm a thicker dancer what the hell is modern in ballet like I love Latin social dance and that's what you know I discovered and so I got burnt out. Yet even then, the politic never left me. I mean, it's always been who I am. And as an artist, now I do believe that we have the honor to create perception. So it is my duty as a queer person of color to create perception rooted in justice. All that being said, fast forwarding to grad school, in my mind, I knew I always wanted to be in, go into organizing. And so I it, somehow in my mind, I thought that social work was a way to professionalize my activism. And, you know, coming from immigrant parents, financial stability is always something that's on the back of a mind for my parents. And then being the oldest, it's like, girl, you're cursed with being like the messiah for your family and being the savior. And it's like, girl, I'm, I'm now. So I became a social worker. First year, I had a conversation. I wanted more, again, because I came from a pol uh, organizing background. I wanted more, something more rooted in public policy. And slowly discovered in conversation with one of my favorite professors, Lisa Schweitzer, um, we just kind of got talking a little bit. And she asked me about my organizing. I was like, the bus riders union. And she was like, girl, you're an urban planner. And I was like, what? 
What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that at 15, talking about transit racism and fair mobility and mobility justice was urban planning. And then so I became a dual degree and that's how I got the second degree of urban planning. Um, and then as an artist, I mean, I used to say that my career as an artist started in 2013, but it didn't really. I think it started in 2016 because then at that time, I was taking dance classes at USC because it was like, okay, cool. I'm a student. I just need some self-care. So I'm going to dance. Um, and my art really became my self-care practice. And so I had a, a, a ritual that every, every semester when that loan money came through, I was like, let me pay six months of rent. So at least I know where I'm living. Like if I don't got food, my mom lives down the block. Like it's okay. We're mm -hmm. going to go get some frijoles, you know, we'll be fine. Um, and then I would buy a random plane ticket during one of the breaks to a city. And I was like, okay, between the beginning of the semester to this break, I have to like build relationships in that city to go and perform. Um, and I had, how and would I you only... go about that if you didn't ever go there or are these like totally yeah. new spaces? Well, no, because of the organizing that I had done, I had, I have a network of organizers uh, all over the country. And so kind of knowing some, knowing some people, um, you know, I had spent, I lived in New York for a year in 2013. And, uh -huh. and so I had known some folks here and there, and it was just kind of like, let me just go visit folks. And then the opportunity to perform or to teach a workshop came up. Um, and then through networking, I think that, you know, that's always been something I'm good at to, to be real. <laughs> um, and so one time specifically, I think it was like in October and I had three different events all in LA um, and maybe one in the Bay area, but they were all back to back, like three weekends in October. And I had a friend who was like, girl, why does it sound like you going on a tour? And I was like, you know what? Cause I am. And so I literally just made a post that I was like, can you hit on tour? And then people are like, Oh, she's on tour. And so oh. I, I think people then just started kind of like seeing it, but I had to start believing it. Right. Um, and then through that, I mean, the rate at which my art has grown in comparison to my work as a planner has been so different. Um, and, and I know, I mean, now that I know that I can take care of like adult Richard, adult Jose Richard can take care of little Jose Richard. It is then my duty to make my my little Jose Richard's dreams come true, which is to be an artist. I've always wanted to be an artist and entertainer, but there was just no representation, right? As a queer, brown, South Central, thicker body person, it's not something that I would see a lot in the late, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and so kind of beginning to, to see that was really, really interesting. And then I can go um, into like the phases of my art career because there have been phases and, and I've learned that now. But yeah, and somehow I've always, because I think been an interdisciplinarian, you know, finding ways to bridge the work of art and social work and urban planning, they all speak to one another. I mean, I'm very proud of where I come from, South Central, mm -hmm. which definitely have an old sweatshirt and everything. Yeah. Shout out to South LA Cafe. for. I can't believe that Alejandro didn't mention that I was talking to someone from the Trojan family. Fight on. Oh, yeah. Fight on. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh. Outside yeah, fight on. <laughs> Hold on yeah. I had no fight idea. On. What year did you graduate? In 2019. Okay, I graduated 2017. Oh, shit, dub. Okay, cool. Yeah, so and we were you, probably the same know, time. Yeah, yeah, because I started in fall of 2016. My Because I was a dual degree, my program was three years. Um, okay. And, and so that was interesting. But, you know, int funny enough, I... 
I mean, I grew up literally down the block and I did a college prep program. I'm not sure if you know about it, Lauren, but it's called NAI, the Neighborhood Academic Initiative. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. And you probably met other folks who went through NAI because they all end up going to USC. It's it's basically for the listeners. It's a college prep program that immerses uh, youth from the neighborhood, um, the surrounding area around USC and creates a pipeline into a, a college access program and youth leadership program. And I was part of that program, like middle school and high school. So I grew up on that campus. I know that campus. I went to school six days a week for six years, like it's, uh, the most. And so that's why I ended up in Minnesota for undergrad at St. Olaf at Norwegian Lutheran College. I was running away from mm. many things. Um, and I think after going through that process, I was like, grad school is going to be difficult enough. I don't need to go anywhere else. And I think because I didn't go to USC for undergrad, like the rest of my friends did, it was, there's something a little void in me that never felt like an alum of the program. Cause I never kind of finished and went through the pipeline. So mm. for grad school, it was important one to kind of fulfill that little little fantasy one, but also it was important for me to show up at that time as a social worker studying in that neighborhood that I grew up because more importantly, mm. I wasn't just a student. I was a community member who went to school there because it's like I grew up there. And of course, that gave me a lot of uh, advantage because uh, I just knew the campus and I knew where everything was. And when you're mm. in grad school, and I'm pretty sure you know this now, Lauren, like we get hella siloed into our programs, into our schools. And so I had known the campus. So I knew where the mailboxes were, where like the health, you know, wellness center was like, if you needed transportation like girl I got you like I knew everything <laughs> so that was kind of nice to have that sense of familiarity yeah and I graduated in 2019 and now I I work as an urban planner I work for um the Othering and Belonging Institute at UC Berkeley and basically I'm a staff researcher looking at the inter um, equity and transportation planning again going back to I didn't even study transportation in grad school I studied design but the lived experience of being a bus rider of organizing with the bus riders union definitely <laughs> put me in this place now as an urban planner i'll say i'll leave it at that i feel like the audience is like damn bitch you just unloaded <laughs> everything like you know this is your moment to pause and process <laughs> pause and process well you mentioned pause something that you, you mentioned, mentioned so many things that we've talked about fairly recently and that is uh the concept of uh, imposter syndrome and you you referenced a moment um, in your grad school years where you felt kind of like an outsider in a sense because every, a majority of other people went to undergrad there, but you were kind of coming in fresh, even though you already had experience with the campus. So what sort of tools did you use to overcome those feelings of feeling either like an imposter or kind of like out of place? Yeah, you know, I, honestly, I didn't feel so much of the imposter syndrome in when I was in school for social work, because again, the organizing and it was just different methods and just learning things. And it, it, that was that was really, really fun. Um, I think a lot of the imposter syndrome then happened in urban planning, because urban planning is also very technical. And I just mm. remember being like, all of a sudden, that bitch has got to do maps. And I was like, how do you do that? You know, mm. and I still don't, I still, I don't know if I know how to do them now. But um. I think then all of a sudden kind of being in spaces and to be real and Lauren is going to know exactly what I'm talking about when the college access can't scandal. What's her name from full house. Uh, oh, oh, Lori Laughlin. 
Lori Laughlin, when that scandal came through and the whole scamming, and I was like, oh, hell no. Yeah. Uh-uh. I was like, I've worked too hard. I, yeah. There is no room for imposter syndrome now. Uh-uh. I am meant to be here because <laughs> you, white girl, got to do all that. <laughs> For an undergraduate degree? Um, no, girl. Let me tell you the shit I've had to go through. And so I think that really helped that reframe that imposter syndrome. And and to be real, I mean, coming from a place where my urban planning program was primarily um, white students and students who were not from Los Angeles. And in conversations, there was always this sort of othering that happened when we referred to the community surrounding the campus. And I always had to be like, I'm going to need you to be very careful about the next thing you're going to say because I'm the community. I grew up mm, on the other mm-hmm. side of the railroad. You know what I mean? And especially, I think you can understand the reference, Lauren, of like, yeah. I grew up south of exposition. You know what I mean? And south of exposition is sort of seen as the border. And now there's very much a very tangible border with the train that constantly is blocking, you know, the the built environment in that way. And so there was always these misconceptions or the fear that it's the hood. And it's like, look, I mean, it's a city and shit happens in a city everywhere. But also if you're like looking for trouble, you're going to find trouble. It's always been my mindset. Like, girl, if I grew up in the hood as a fam, like you're fine. You're fine. (laughs) Like you're totally fine. And so I think a lot of that really helped sort of reframe imposter syndrome. Um, I think the last uh, thing I'll mention on the topic, um, there was a question I got asked not too long ago about <laughs> how talented I thought I was. Um, wow, which what a I, question. Right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And I promise, because every time I tell this story, everyone has a similar reaction to you, Lauren. And I promise that in the context, it was it was a good question. In the context yeah. of the conversation, <laughs> it was a good question. Uh, but I, I really am proud of the answer that I that I that that came out of me. Sometimes I say shit that I'm like, girl, what the fuck? Where did that come from? And then I have to write it down because yeah. then it becomes a tweet, it becomes a line, it becomes something. Um, but um, the way I answered was that it took me seven years to process through the imposter syndrome to arrive mm-hmm. and to discover that I into or reconcile with the fact that I have talent. Now I say that I'm talented, but not from a place of ego, but from a place of experience. Mm -hmm. Because after seven years, like you learn some stuff on the stage. Like I'm no longer afraid of my talent and I'm no longer afraid of the stage. I still get nervous, right? And and that's a beautiful thing. I think that the magic of performing happens in the alchemy of nerves. um, Because what you get to do with that anxiety or those nerves is really, really magical. And so I've always now now I can say after seven years, like, okay, I know I know what I'm good at. I know I'm good at entertaining people. I know that I'm stupid, funny, this little light of ball of light, as Alejandro described me. I know that now. So now we just get to have a good time and have a you know fun, you know. So yeah, I think um I the way I, I say now, it's like I, I've now learned to, to reframe imposter syndrome because I'm not an imposter to a system that was never meant for me. I want to like, walk you back because I think that our yeah. audience is like, what are you doing on the stage? What's happening on the <laughs> stage? We've heard all about what you've been studying in school, what you're doing with your professional career. So what's happening on the stage? Let's hear about the podcast. And I want to hear yeah. about how you find balance within your identity because, you know, being... I understand being a multi-hyphenate really well. And I'm really curious, like which part of your identity do you feel like feels the most fulfilling, feels the most truthful for who you are at the end of the day? And what do you think keeps you up the most at night? Which I know is a lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> not the what keeps you up. Um, so, I, you know, to answer your question, I think the, the question that somebody asked me once, um, shout out to Dr. Destiny Thomas, a good mentor and friend in urban planning. Um, she asked me, who are you without your trauma? And I was like, damn, girl, that's a hard question. I don't think I would have been a social worker without my trauma. I don't think I'd have been an urban planner without my trauma. But the one thing I know I would have been without my trauma is an artist. I probably hmm. would have been a fucked up artist, right? Like an artist seeking fame. Um, and they exist a lot. And I think now kind of being in the industry, it's interesting to see it. Um, we had, I had an audition yesterday when I went with two other really, really good friends and we, it was a whole fucking adventure. I mean, we weren't on the list for the auditions because we submitted our forms like today, it, the day of, oh. it was a whole mess. <laughs> I, I, girl, I didn't, I didn't bring my headshot and people <laughs> were like, how are they going to remember you? I was like, girl, I know how to do that. You know, like I'm memorable. I know how to do that. Oh but it my was, goodness. But it was just such an adventure because then all of a sudden we were supporting one another. Like, girl, you're good at this. Make sure you do that. Girl, you're good at that. Like the way we reframed it was like, we have three chances to getting on the show because <laughs> if any of us get it, then we all get it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful for community being the, the the spearhead of everything that I've done as an artist. I'm grateful that I've been an organizer and activist longer than I've been an artist because that really inframed my values and the framework through which I do the work as an artist. So like I mentioned earlier, I was trained as a dancer and choreographer. Dance is my first affair. Dance is magical. Dance is spiritual. Dance is a ritual. So I do a practice on Instagram called Monday de Movimiento where over the last four years, every Monday, I make it a commitment. I try to, this year has been on and off because I'm like, uh, um, to just play a song and just for like a minute, like improvise and just be in the joy of dancing. Um, and people really appreciate it. I think a lot of people started following me because of that. There's things that went viral, et cetera, et cetera. In 2020, or honestly, earlier in maybe 2018, 2019. In 2018, I did a, a TED Talk at USC. I did t- TEDx USC. Um, and I I had to write a 15-minute performance that then I had to memorize. There, uh, I, I think the performance was on a Saturday. By that Monday leading up to the performance, I was like at 10% memorization. And I was like, girl, you need to memorize this. And so the entire week I was like, you know, taking the script with me, like in the shower, everywhere, you know, just trying to remember the lines. And I kid you not, that Saturday, I was the last one to go and I had worked with the cohort. And so for the last six months or the last semester, we had spent so much time together and being witnesses to each other's process to get to the TED Talk um, that every time they came out after their talk, there was just this big sense of relief that was not cute for me. I just kept getting more nervous and I was like, wait, what's no, I don't want to (laughs) go. And then it's my turn to go. They opened the doors, the little promo videos played in the background and everything went blank. Like, girl, I couldn't tell you the first word. I was like, uh, no. And I remember looking at the, our stage manager behind, uh, behind the stage. I looked, I looked at them with this sense of like, no, girl, don't send me out there. And they were just mm-hmm. kind of like, bitch, go, it's your time. And I was like, ah, and I get there and I see um, the three audience members that I had invited personally who are people that I love dearly. Um, and I just remember seeing them smile and something just went over me. And, and I kid you not, 
I look back at the TED Talk at the video and everything I said was 100% verbatim what I wrote. It was mm. it, so wild. But ask me to do it again and I can't because literally there was this trance that just <laughs> took over that I'm like, I don't remember the performance. I don't remember a lot of my performances in that moment. It's just so magical and wild. And I think after that is when I realized that the stage was my home. So I, I, I ensured that I created as many opportunities as possible for me to get on the stage. So through that TED Talk, I discovered a little bit more of poetry. And I published a book of poems called Semilla in 2020. And that was interesting. And since then, I think I go back again to choreography where for me, poetry, I specifically focus on cadence and the performance of poems because to me, cadence is the choreography of word. And so that's been interesting. We arrived to Fruta Fresca, which is the podcast that I have. After being invited to be on podcasts for a while, there was always something that everyone told me. And it was like, girl, you need your own podcast. <laughs> like, you're super good at, like, conversations. You're super great at this. And I was like, okay. But at this point in my career, because this was just in this year. I mean, we got the podcast in 2022. At this point in my career, it was kind of like, okay, cool. But I can't go. I can't do a hobby anymore, you know? It has to be, like on a contract because I know my capacity. I know what I can and can't do. Like I, I girl, I'm not going to be able to do the production on my, on my own. So luckily enough, one of my friends that I went to high school with, uh, we reconnected because they thought I, he thought I was in Mexico city <laughs> and I was like visiting, but people thought I had moved there. Cause at one point I did think about moving, but then gentrification. And I was like, I can't. Um, and we ended up talking and he was like, yo, I, I work for a company and I run their audio. Like, let me set you up with a meeting with my boss. And so I had a meeting with his boss. Turned out his boss already followed me on Instagram. We totally vibed. And then all of a sudden we got a pilot contract. And then, you know, Fruta Fresca was born. Um, the last thing I'll share is like, now I'm discovering something I'm calling stand-up poetry. And it's this fusion between spoken word and comedy. I'm just not a big fan of poetry audiences. And I feel like a thousand people just got attacked. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but the thing is... The, th the thing is, like, you know, you go to a, a, a open mic or whatever, and people have, like, this very stoic, very monotonous, like, glare. And they're like, mm, snap, snap, you know? And I'm like, no, girl, he was an asshole. Like, stop. And mm. so I feel like I started just talking a lot of shit about the stories that inspired the poems, and people started laughing. Um, And then through Clubhouse which is this app, rest in peace, right? Because I don't think people use it anymore. But being able to just play around with voice and have a really fun time and just be stupid on it, really then I discovered that I was addicted to laughter and anything I could do to contribute to laughter was something worth exploring. And so now there's this beautiful fusion between comedy and poetry. And, you know, people have been telling me now that I need to be in front of the camera more often. And I was like, oh, girl, I, you know, how do you transition into like being on screen and acting when all I've ever known has been dance and stage and, and, and poetry and the things that I know now? But I do definitely believe that there's some transferable skills. And again, I I now know that who I am as a person is like, girl, I'm not going to get casted into characters. Characters will be written for me. I know that now. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> so, so with these stories that you're talking about, that you talk about yeah. in your poetry, first of all, I'm curious, like some of the things that you cover in your poetry, but also yeah. 
How do you find balance because you are such a broad multi-hyphenate for your personal life to find inspiration for your poetry and just to have this like holistic balance between your career in many different facets and what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah, 100. Uh, great question. Um, because I come from performance, a lot of my first poems were born out of improvisation. <laughs> like I had a, a structure, I had an outline. And again, I just trusted this weird magic spirit that came in through me and just trusted it to say some shit. And then I would ask people to record it. And then I would look at the recording and transcribe it and then make edits along the transcription. And then that became the poem. I think then the having to then receiving this fellowship to produce and write a book of poems in a year. I mean, it was supposed to be six months, but then pandemic hit and it became a year. Again, I had learned at that point how to make words dance on stage, but I hadn't learned how to make them dance on a page because it's very different to receive a poem and to read a poem. And so that was something very interesting. And one of the good things that I heard from the from my editor at that time, shout out to the still arts, was that poetry was a lot about learning how to embody the here and the now. And that was so interesting, right? Going back to alchemy, I've always loved being a brujita. And to me, I think poetry became so fun and essential when I found the alchemy of words. Like there's something very powerful and almost like spellcasting when you have to arrange poems in a certain way to communicate certain things, right? Um, to your question on the balance, I come from um, an organizing principle that I learned that it talks about organizing within, without, and against the state. And even though I work within the state, my spirit will always be against it. And I have to remind myself of that. And so there's certain things that I can't say at work, but girl, I can write a poem about it. Like, that's my truth. That's my art. So I found ways to be able to talk shit about the things that I do. I feel right now I'm doing a lot of reels that are like cultural satire. Somebody described my work as cultural satire and I loved it. And I was like using that where I talk a lot about the bullshit of being a person of color in equity spaces. <laughs> and none of it has to really do with my real work. I just, you know, observe things, different colleagues, and it becomes inspiration. So the things that I can't say within the state um, has been very, very helpful because then I can say it, you know, in my work and my poems. And so one of the things that I do um, at work, every call, everyone calls me Richard, which is, I think, in the Zoom call, you're seeing Richard. <laughs> I should, I should whatever oh it's okay whatever uh but yeah people call me Richard at work and then as an artist I use my full name Jose Richard and then there's also Nalgona because in 2020 I started going like a little bit more viral and I went from like having 4,000 followers to having like 16,000 and I was like what just happened what um and so people call me Nalgona which is Spanish for like someone with a big ass uh and it was just a joke and now it's like a nickname which is hilarious but I use these different names to compartmentalize because like you said right going back to that balance I mean the lines blur a lot I still show up as an artist as a social worker as an urban planner in everything that I do but when someone calls me Jose or Jose Richard I know that they've either first met me through art or through social media um, and even people that I've known outside of those spaces who will call me Jose I'm like oh okay we don't know each other like that so it just helps me in my mind, compartmentalized. And so when call someone calls me Jose versus someone calls me Richard, I just know what comportment to have. Um, and it's not from a place of like, 
exclusivity or just it's just it helps me create a little bit of of, um of of a process in my mind because I had to learn the hard way that not everyone has your best intention in mind so it was like y'all don't need to know my process just know that there's something happening on the on this date right like y'all don't need to know the shit that happens behind the scenes because no (laughs) and then we started getting into like contracts and NDAs and I was like okay I legally can't tell you what's going on (laughs) so that was really really fun so that's how I find the balance I think between the work that I do but so much of my poems are rude in the concepts and the things that I experience and learn as an urban planners, uh, um, urban planner, I have a piece called Tio Metro, where it's basically like this whole uh, my feelings towards transplants uh, in Los Angeles, and there's a line that says, "Yes." Right. They told you that this is the place where you come to be an actor. But what they failed to tell you is that we never sent you a casting call. And then there's <gasps> an, right? oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> and there's a, and there's a, there's another part that I say is we as native Angelinos, we as native Angelinos have been clipped of our wings. We have been conditioned to only tell our stories at bus benches, at sidewalks and at unpaved pavements. And so a lot of that, that, that mo- the motif, the metaphors are really rude in urban planning that's the whole piece is about the bus and and my stories growing up as a bus rider um so i always find a way to integrate that work and and again sometimes what can't become research projects can become art projects so no longer do i feel like i need to go get a phd like i thought i was one day because i'm like i don't this doesn't yeah i don't need it like i it, it may not be a research project but it becomes an art project so it's really really fun and vice versa I love what you said about making words dance on the page and making words dance on the stage. That's such a beautiful way to describe what happens when you got that wonderful alchemy happening for an audience. And I really, I just I have to like resound those sentiments because watching you at the Fruta Fresca recording with <laughs> what was the artist name that you were interviewing that day? Do you what was Diego Diego Garijo. Oh, my God. So first of all, this experience was amazing. The chemistry between you two and just the interview (laughs) questions and information that was shared, it was so wonderful. But when you shared poetry, as well as gave context to the audience, it really you just like had this fusion of expression that like made the whole space light up. It was really cool. It was really, really magical. Thank you. There's here's the thing. I, I feel like performance has taught me to be the most hyper present I've ever been in my life. I mean, mm-hmm. and and like we shared in that recording, I realized that I love the chaos. I mean, that's why I'm an organizer because that shit is chaotic, but it requires organization, requires demands, it requires like values. And so, so much of that, I think really helped me then discover the magic of the stage because, you know, we pay attention to the person who came in late, the phone that went off, the one mm-hmm. person who's not into your shit. And that becomes perfect material material to talk shit and so being able to engage with audience is really 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 fun and somehow I don't know how I think because my mind is so chaotic I'm able to know how it operates a little bit better now uh where like to what Alejandro was saying and to give folks some context I mean like I have a poem and I know the structure it's about my gender pronouns and I know how it goes I mean I've memorized the cadence so much that it's just a song I've learned that that's a good thing and a bad thing but 
there's moments where I can break out a character, go into like this, this comedy and this bit, and then somehow find my way back into the poem. And I was like, ah, girl, I don't know how I did it. I, 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 I in moment and in real time, I laugh. Um, and, and that day I also sang. Um, and I now know, it, it, I know how to laugh with myself and laugh at myself. I think I, after 32 years in a relationship with myself, I feel very comfortable doing that. And I say that mm -hmm. to say, because girl, my voice cracked in one of the notes and I went a little flat and it was like, and then I just laughed about it. I was like, oh, you're stupid. <laughs> and people really appreciated it. It was really, really fun. I think everybody is listening is like, how can I be you? Like what, how, how do you become you? And I think that one of the things that we like to ask our guests is about your morning routines. And you know, some creators don't have morning routines, some swear by their morning routines. So we wanna hear one, if you have one, and if you don't, what are some consistent habits that you swear by that you think help to make you as creative and as fulfilled as you are? Yeah. My morning routine, you know, I think I, I don't know if I necessarily have one. I do know that one of the habits that I've always had, oh, one of them is kind of weird. And it's been funny because it was like a partner who told me and I didn't believe it. And then I confirmed with my mom and my mom was like, yeah, you've been doing this since you were a baby. What was um, that? Oh my God, that's funny. I sometimes gig I wake up giggling. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, like I literally wake up and just laugh and I'm like, ah, oh, a bitch is alive another day. We are here. Uh, and there's definitely so one of those habits is definitely like doing those the stretching in the bed and just waking up ligaments, waking up tendons, and just being in the body is definitely for sure something that I do. Um, I think another thing that I do in the morning is definitely have my cafecito and have my coffee and and that's really, really nice. Um the other thing that I do is like sometimes depending on the day as well, depending how I wake up, I write affirmations for myself and then maybe in grad school. So starting in 2016, 2017, something just came over me and I was like, hmm, am I feeling this type of way? There's probably other people who are feeling this way too. So I would write these affirmations more, more like I would tell myself the affirmation and just kind of think about it. And then I would write them down and literally copy and paste and just send, scroll through my phone and just send them through random people and just send like 10 affirmations all the same ones and people are like oh my god I needed to hear this thank you so much and so I think that became really a fun thing I always make a joke that maybe I should come back and like copy and screenshot the the affirmations and make it into a little digital zine of affirmations because there's probably over 200 affirmations out there I don't know I've been doing this for four years now um yeah, fun... yes do it do it yeah <laughs> I know right <laughs> The other, the other routine that I have, it's more pre-performance. Um, I think it's something that I learned in undergrad and it just stuck with me. Um, I don't know why, but I brush my teeth every time before I go on stage. There's, there's something, I mean, I, aside from also just having good hygiene and like, maybe you're going to kiss somebody, I don't know. Uh, but it's just like a moment, it's something so, something that you do in autopilot. So it allows for me to be busy and I get to like channel all of the nerves and the anxiety into just... I was like, then I'm like, maybe scrubbing too hard. I didn't realize that until I <laughs> said it out loud. Um, oh but, you know, just to do, be in that routine, it allows me to calm down my mind because it's something that I know and is so familiar to my body. Um, so I brush my teeth every time before a performance. I, girl, I could have brushed my teeth like literally leaving my house to the theater but still before like okay five you know five minutes thank you five and bitch go brush your teeth like it's always been something that i've always done yeah i think those are some of the ones that i do 
That, those are incredible. I feel like that needs to be a post on our social media. I feel like that is so helpful. So we have one more question. And since this podcast is called Damsels in the DMs, we would love to know what is the funniest DM you've ever received? It or can also be most inspirational. Be, yeah. Scandalous. Or scandalous or, in, or inspiration, you know, a whole company of yeah. adjectives. What was the most striking recently? Well, confession. So... Again, compartmentalization is super important. To, the to an point extent. That it, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. No, I totally agree with you because compartmentalization is also like a, a defense mechanism. So like, girl, right. I really, you know, but like I took it to the extreme that a bitch got two phones. And I was like, look, I, you know, I didn't, it took me a while to even be able to consistently afford one phone. I mean, uh -huh. not that consistently we can afford two phones because sometimes I'm like, why am I paying this much for phones? But... The reason why it happened <laughs> was because someone slid in my DMs. <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, oh, damn, girl, let me. And then I was like, no, 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 no. You cannot blur what you do as an artist and what you do as a hoe. Like, not that they're different, That's but like they're one and the same. But like, listen, if you, at first I used to do this. If you were just a first name in my phone, you were a booty call. Because after seven months, you're like, who's Alejandro? I don't know. Delete. <laughs> you like that one? I, I, <laughs> uh, and so now what I do is I give people my personal phone versus my work phone. And it just helps me in my mind. I At first, I was like, oh, let me not have the booty calls on my personal phone. Like, you don't need to know me like that. But then I was like, girl, but God forbid I send a new to a producer. Like, no. Right. And so the, I think the 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 scandalous DM was that someone slid into the DMs. They were cute. We definitely hooked up. But then it just made me, again, being the person who compartmentalizes, I was like, I cannot mix these two things. So I got a second phone because of that DM. <laughs> well. What a result. Oh, my goodness. I know, right? Like, girl, not you going in debt because of a DM. I mean, right. <laughs> Best answer ever. Oh. Well, I know that you, by the time this episode comes out, you will have already performed in En Busqueda de la Malinche, which is taking yes. place December 16th at High Def Brewing in downtown L.A., and you already told us about your book of poetry, Semilla, but what other materials might our audience be able to either buy to support your work or experiences that they might come and see you perform? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, folks definitely could go and purchase um, Semilla. You can find it on Amazon, but I always tell people to go to Distill Arts, and that is D-S-T-L-Arts.org, um, um, just to support a local publishing company. Um, and so that's that was a really, really fun book. I, I forget. I really am horrible at, like, marketing shit because I'm like, oh, I should tell people about the book. Uh, but in addition to that, y'all can go listen to Fruta Fresca podcast. It's it's a podcast rooted a lot in comedy, shit talking, uh, nostalgia, um, and it's in Spanglish. And it's it's been such a fun process and a, and a different way of connecting with audience. I feel like now I've learned to anthropomorphize a microphone really because I am I come from the stage um, and so it's been really really fun to get to learn how to navigate with a new set of audience um, 
And then folks can find me on social media on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter at Soynalgona. That's S-O-Y-N-A-L-G-O-N-A at Soynalgona. Um, and yes, in Busca de la Malinche, I, I, I mean, at the record. Uh, once this comes out, it'll, uh, it has been done, but I'll tell folks more about it because it's a work in progress. What the 16th is, is a work in progress. And what that means is basically one, I just needed an, I just needed an opportunity. See, I've become, now that I know, see, this is where mm -hmm. the ego comes out. Now that I know that a bitch has processed through imposter syndrome. Now that someone knows that she is talented, I've become that annoying person that every time I see a microphone, I'm like, give me, give me the <laughs> You know, I just need something phallic in my hand. <laughs> um, and so so the work in progress is really just my way of being selfish and being able to share what this work in progress looks like. It's not a finished product. So be on the lookout for En Busca de la Malinche. And it's basically um, all of the stories that are centralized around my trips that I made to Mexico City. I'll talk a little bit about why I didn't move to Mexico City. And really, it's all about how I went to Mexico City in the hopes of reconnecting with my mother's home country and instead found my privilege. Um, so a lot of the conversation is rooted in gentrification in Mexico City. It's rooted in belonging. It's rooted in, in the displacement of spirit, which I'm calling, all centered around this character named La Malinche, who is a historical figure who historically has been blamed for colonization um as she was malinche was um one of hernan cortez's translators and she was the one that was helping create those political alliances with surrounding indigenous societies that then sort of became the coup that came and defeated montezuma and took over tenochtitlan uh now mexico city and hence <laughs> where we are now so she's seen a lot as a traitor and i was called the malinche because a lot of my previous partners had been white men and so people were like, you're a traitor to the desire of your people. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, and I think to the desire of the people. My goodness, what a title. Ooh. I know. Right. And so I think I definitely had to process through that. And now as an urban planner, again, Lauren, to your question about the balance, Malinche really becomes my framework, right, of being like, I'm in a system, but know what you're going for. And it's not to be a part of the system, but to dismantle it and destroy it and burn it all down. And in that process, figure out also what is the world that we're creating so i look at malinche now as an infiltrator and translator so she is definitely an ancestor and a goddess that i believe in and so in busca de la malinche is a, a piece that talks about her anchored in these trips to mexico city and then proposes a new narrative uh, to look at her through Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. What Thank a you. gift this week. Oh I also I also can't believe the hour went by. <laughs> Unbelievable. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, for sure. All right, everyone. Well, it has been another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Do not forget to send us your feedback. If you loved this episode, please tell us what your thoughts were. If you have a question burning inside of you, send us a DM. If you have a matter of confidence or mental health or self-esteem or love that is itching at your scalp we want to know about it send us a dm <laughs> and if you're liking our rebrands let us know if you don't like our rebrands let us know if there's things that you want us to bring back 
let us know. You can do it all through our DM section or you can write DMs to us or our future guests. We would love to hear. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at Damsels in the DMs on all of your platforms. Every single one. So find us, tune in. We love you. You love us. Let's continue this together, shall we? (laughs) Until next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.